Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and Erin Dugan will not be with us on the podcast this week. She has had some family issues, some really important stuff come up, and she will be unavailable for us to hang out this week, which, of course, is okay. She needs to deal with that stuff. She'll be back next week, of course, and all season long. But uh, uh, obviously, uh, thinking about her and her family right now and wanted to give her some time to, to breathe a little bit. Stephen Godfrey, of course, will be on the show from now on. So the vast majority of the podcast will feature myself and Stephen Godfrey the rest of the way, at least this particular show. And then again, Erin will be back with us next week. She just needed some time to deal with some family stuff. So again, uh, if you want to shoot her some well wishes, at the Aaron Dugan, of course, on Twitter, uh, at Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. You can follow me at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook as well. Coming up today on the show, Stephen Godfrey and I are going to dive deep into the Alliance and what it means for SEC football fans, what's actually happening with the other power conferences around college football and what impact does that have on the SEC. What do you need to know as an SEC fan as it pertains to the Alliance? We'll get uh, his thoughts on that. Of course, we'll discuss the ins and outs and the what have yous. But we want to focus today, as we are still a week away from actual games taking place, we wanted to focus today on the tension and the dynamic between head coaches and coordinators. There's a lot of different types of tension, right? You can see that the Todd Munkin offense at Georgia needs to quote-unquote evolve with Kirby Smart. Where There's tension there. Mark Stoops and new coordinator Liam Cohen, there's tension there. Coach O has two brand-new coordinators. There's tension there. There's a dynamic and a push and a pull, and we want to explore a lot of these different dynamics throughout the course of the show today. We're going to get you a really deep dive into the coordinators in the SEC and how they work and how they mesh with their head coaches. Also, Seth Emerson going to join us, of course, from The Athletic covering the Georgia Bulldogs. He will do an outstanding job later on in the show breaking down exactly what's happening with the Georgia depth chart, where they are from a health standpoint. Going into the Clemson match in two weeks, of course, a big game, the biggest game maybe of the season for the Georgia Bulldogs and maybe the Clemson Tigers. So we'll hear his thoughts on where they're at, that matchup, and get his thoughts on if Georgia is a playoff team and where the fans are at right now with Kirby Smart. So a lot of stuff coming up on the show today. Before we do, before we get to Stephen Godfrey, uh, of course, Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers. And I don't have anything funny to say here because this is normally where Aaron Dugan would say something hilarious about how Jaspers is your freshwater cactus or built for tough. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what she would say. But here's what I can tell you. Football is coming and people like to watch football at sports bars. But you don't want crappy food. You don't want to pay for parking. You want to have great food and free parking and great drink specials and happy hours. And the reason you want all of that is because you're a human being. And the reason Jasper's delivers all of that is because they are the next evolution of the sports bar. So make sure you go check out Jasper's on West End. You get great happy hours every single day, four to six. And then, of course, they've got a different type of special, whether it's burgers, whether it's flatbreads, whether it's beers, whether it's bubbly. They've got a special for you, 6 p.m. to close almost every night as well. The menu's great, of course, by Deb Paquette and Four Top Hospitality. So go check out Jasper's as you start to watch football games for the next four months. Go to Jasper's, everybody. All right, Seth Emerson coming up a little bit later on in the program, of course, from The Athletic, talking Georgia. But without further ado, on to Fringe Element this week with Stephen Godfrey. Welcome to Fringe Element. Stephen Godfrey, the program already in progress. How are you, sir? Good to talk to you. What's going on? I'm good. I'm responding. Uh, I'm trying to get myself in a suitable public state of mind to talk about the Alliance. 
<laughs> because I, I could not be more impatient about this nonsense. Is it all caps in your mind? Like just always, all, always the alliance, the rebel alliance. Is it always capitalized in your mind? Braden, here you got a lot of families listening. Got a lot of people commuting, kids in the car, maybe on their way to or from daycare. I just, I, you know, you got the fine folks at Jasper's. I don't want to make anybody mad. I just got here, but I'm. I can't help but think of four letter words when I think about the nonsense. Not only the alliance. I think it was a little bit of a semantic move. It was basically just a lot of posturing. I'm just blown away at how gullible most of the national media is when it comes to these 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 teases and press releases and quote-unquote leaks. I know this is an audio medium. I'm using big finger quotes when I say leaks. This was all a tease to rush a lot of our national attention on the eve of actual toe leather to a nonsense event that's basically a long-winded response to, hey, we all just got hit in the jaw by the Southeastern Conference. And by the way, as someone who's highly critical of Birmingham, I hate how good this makes them look because <laughs> it makes them look smarter than they actually are. I, I don't know. It's it, it's one of those things like they don't the SEC doesn't have to overthink this, though, because I've been getting a lot of people on, on Twitter asking me about because like right now the, we'll get to maybe the Big 12. We don't we don't have to, but it seems like the Big 12 sort of has just been 86th in this process. But again, I'm with you. All this alliance is is just the other leagues saying, all right, let's stick together so the SEC doesn't continually eat us alive. I mean, if you're, right. if you're an SEC football fan, like you don't even need to add more teams. You don't need Oklahoma State or West Virginia. You're, you're a fact. No, you're actually going to lessen the pie for your teams. If you do that, the SEC has, I don't know what you, I think nine of the 20 richest programs in America. And that doesn't include South Carolina, Arkansas, or Ole Miss or Mississippi state. And, and currently as it sits with Texas and Oklahoma. So to, to me, this is just like they're everyone else is taking on water because the sec just delivered some massive blows and, and they're all going, I, I guess here, here's my question. Will the entire group, because we're going to talk about uh, coordinators and head coaches and actual football, most of the show today, but is there something that that could happen where all these people get in a room because it's supposed to happen here pretty soon in September about expansion, about TV contracts, where they come to some sort of agreement where like, you, you know, four different networks each get a game in the first round and four different networks each get a game in the second round. Then we'll give ESPN the semifinals and then we'll rotate like otherwise it seems like the SEC wants to happen, wants this all to happen tomorrow. And, of course, yeah. And everybody else wants to like say, wait a second, hold on, let's wait till 2025. Is there going to be a happy medium agreement here where they can come to some sort of middle ground? Well, I mean, money's going to win out because money is the only undefeated interested party in the history of college athletics. That's not going to change. I think the only move against the SEC, and it's being rightly labeled, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to act like state media here. I'm so far from that. Um but the only real move against the SEC, and it's cheap and it's petty, is to stall out these playoff talks. And the reason why is that you cannot tell me that the Southeastern Conference made a move to add these two programs without an expanded playoff being really the table-setting piece of that expansion. Otherwise, don't do it. And by the way, if you're the University of Oklahoma, 
this is a potential disaster. Now, I don't think it's going to come to fruition. I don't think that all the involved parties or a majority of the involved parties are going to be able to block playoff expansion. It's just too much money being turned down to too many different places. And the potential benefit, honestly, for the Big Ten is so inarguable that eventually they'll come around. However, imagine just for a second it doesn't and you're Oklahoma and you go from I mean, look, we have this clog at the very top of college football, these are the same programs doing the same thing every single year, and it's killing off interest in the sport nationally. That's inarguable. It is, especially amongst casual viewers. Of those programs, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame some years, right? Uh, Oklahoma has the easiest path in because they essentially are in the weakest conference. They have one or two games that are basically the pivot points for their season, and then by virtue of the way the system is set up, Boom, they're in. They would potentially go from the easiest path to a four-team playoff to inarguably, Braden, the hardest. This yeah, would they be just, a disaster. They just, they just turned into Texas A&M, Florida, Auburn. Yes, yes. They're, they're just the fourth best program in the SEC. And that's like, and again, maybe some years they're second, but again, you know, Bama. I, I agree that, that Oklahoma is, is going from dominating a league and, you know, being – the easiest team in the big 12 to get into the playoff to, you know, again, taking the paycheck. But again, again, I, I, we've talked about Texas and Oklahoma's ability to achieve in the sec, as long as they have the right coaches, they have the money and they no longer are facing that inferiority complex on the recruiting trail, which is one of the biggest problems in the state of Texas. They, they, they sort of eliminate that argument on the recruiting trail by joining the sec and they make a fortune and playoff expansion. I, I don't think this changes anything. I, what I'm curious about is will the TV partners come to some sort of agreement on this? Because we know Fox and CBS and maybe even NBC want to get back. CBS is not going to stay out of the game. NBC is looking around. They want right. to, they want to spread their wings a little bit too. We know big 10 and PAC 12 are up in 2023. My, my question is, is, is there an agreement for ESPN and the SEC, in, instead of owning all of the playoff, maybe they give some of the playoff back to get it to happen earlier. Does that make sense? Like, it's that- a possibility, but I, I think you're putting too much. If you're if you're ESPN slash the playoff slash sort of the SEC right behind them, I think you're offering up too much in the middle. To be to be totally honest, because. Again, the Big Ten stands to benefit. When when you send a program to the college football playoff, there is a financial, immediate financial boon for the conference that sends the team. So if Ohio State goes, the Big Ten right. profits, et cetera. If you expand to 6, 8, 12, 64, whatever, that's, that model will not change. And so I, I think it's kind of funny. You and I were talking about this off air a little bit, but you know, it's really this is not an alliance. This is the Big Ten – kind of holding their cards a little bit at the table. They they don't really have any qualms about standing alongside the ACC and the Pac-12, but I'm going to be honest with you. I really think, and this is an I think, not an I know, based on reporting, but based on years of experience, the reason why that whole alliance stunt on Tuesday was so noncommittal and really put nothing out there is because the Big Ten is evaluating their options. The Big Ten is the real force here that's going to respond to the Southeastern Conference, and they are not necessarily opposed to playoff expansion. They're not. No. A lot of this is a sore, a sore feeling individuals who represent particular conferences and groups and networks that want to create a blockade immediately. So it does not feel like there is a turnstile of power that resides in Bristol, Connecticut. Yeah, and and one hundred percent, you're trying you're trying to stop ESPN's complete control over a twelve team playoff. 
and you're trying to make sure your conferences can make money and get access to the playoff. So the Big Ten, I think, yes, the Big Ten is fine. Financially, they're ahead of the SEC right now. The SEC is going to take a big step forward in a couple years, and we know the Big Ten is also going to take another step forward. All the Pac-12 and the ACC are the ones that have are, are are genuinely concerned about this, so they're hitching their wagon to the Big Ten. And and again, the SEC. If you're an SEC fan listening to this, you're just going like, I, I don't think you. None of this should matter to you. Like no, none of this should matter to you at all. Other than yeah, other than yeah. other than like again, when does it happen? Does it happen in 2023? Does it happen in 2025? Nobody wants it to happen in 2025. N- nobody like fans, media. Everybody wants it to be resolved before then. I don't know how that happens. It's going to have to be a room with presidents and ESPNs and television partners and everything else. So again, not not a it's it's a lot of conversation about something that's like not actually happening. <laughs> I will say that this is the last thing I want to say about this. We we speak about strength of schedule in orders of magnitude. And and what I mean by that is that it's interpreted differently depending on what part of the country you're in or who you're speaking on behalf of or who you're a fan of. This, this goes back all the way to the you should have nine conference games in the SEC, not eight, and then people inside the league. And when I'm saying people, I'm not saying fans. I'm saying coaches right. and the people who actually build these rosters are saying, I don't think you understand how brutal that would be. Now, we saw it last year in an extremely isolated situation. I don't know if we'll necessarily see it again. I, I, I kind of lean towards it not happening. But the reason I bring up strength of schedule is this. There's not going to be a scheduling alliance. It's not going to happen. It's not feasibly possible. And this is the quick example I'll give you. We can move on. In the SEC, these programs are attuned to and accustomed to the brutality. This is my defense of SOCON Saturday when it happens in November. If you're an ACC program right now, and I'm going to give you the top and the bottom real fast. If you're Clemson, you're already scheduling Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, teams like that in the in the Chick-fil-A kickoff, right? You you want to be opposite of the SEC because spiritually you are an SEC program. At the end of the year, Braden, you're already playing South Carolina. So you're not interested in dropping even more P5 into your schedule. I'm just telling you it's not going to happen. Braden, what if you're Georgia Tech? What if you're Georgia Tech? Okay, Wake, you Wake already for, op- Wake Forest. Boston you open College. the year you open the year against Clemson and you close it against Georgia most seasons. Oh, so now I got to play Michigan and then maybe like a good Cal defense instead of just getting healthy against Northern Illinois. That's not going to happen. It's not the, the individual eighties and presidents are not going to let that happen. Even if it generates tons of revenue and better ticket sales. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. No, because, because what's the net gain by, by individual institution. Remember, I mean, when the rising tide floats all boats, you don't get any taller. Well, that that's, I mean, that's the calculus they have to do. Like, that, that's what they have to figure out. Like, if if we can sell four or five extra games, we'll give you, like, the extra four or five on the bottom that, that don't generate any revenue. And, and maybe that breaks even, maybe it doesn't. I, I don't know. So, for the SEC, my message to fans is, look, this is just a bunch of other people that think they're, that are, that are trying to be as powerful as the SEC saying, Whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody settle down. Let's just calm down here and and not act crazy, which is why we haven't seen any movement from anybody about anything on any of this. There's no movement because there's no response. Right. There's no way to respond to Oklahoma and Texas. Don't no. tell me you're going to go get Kansas. No, then, no I'm I serious. Agree. I agree. No, you're 100% correct. I mean, we, we there is the only response is to pool your resources and become one conference. And basically, I would argue we're at one super conference now anyway with four super, yeah. super divisions. Uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. SEC fans, don't don't worry. You don't need to add Oklahoma State or West Virginia. SEC mm. SEC football is totally fine for the next fifty years, exactly how it is. That that's add West Virginia for the tailgate. 
Well, look, I would trade Missouri to the Big Ten. Oh, in a heartbeat. And add oh, and add West Virginia in, in a heart in two seconds. Yeah, That's what yeah. I mean. Wisconsin and West Virginia are the most spiritually SEC that I've that I've experienced. Ooh, Wisconsin's got some. Uh, they would be sort of excluded at the Thanksgiving dinner, though, because of their ideal, because of their ideals and principles. They might, they'd be, they'd be, they'd be sitting in the those, other room. Those people can drink beer at nine a.m. and not stop until two a.m. That, yeah. that, that's pretty much my barometer at this point. But but does Texas A&M enjoy arguing with them for twelve hours? You know, like that's that's the question. Like. Mm. Uh, <laughs> we should probably change the subject before I get angry. <laughs> uh, likewise. All right. So let, let, let's talk coordinators and head coaches. There's all, it's one of the most fascinating dynamics in college football in particular, because again, with new coaches like a Brian Harson at Auburn, you know, does he know the sec? Has he recruited here? He's from this, he's from this other world of the America. That's like six States over. Um, I, I am fascinated with these tensions. There's a lot of different types of tension, frankly, and we'll kind of cover them all. We'll also make sure we point out some of the places where we think there's some harmony in the SEC, and that could lead to some positive things for some programs in, in, in this league this season. Um, I think the, the number of big, the biggest one is, is Georgia, Kirby Smart, and Todd Munkin. Mm-hmm. I, ironically, they're missing some weapons <laughs> and probably will be, and you'll hear, Seth, you'll hear Seth Emerson talk about this. Actually, he'll explain this. It's not going to look like an evolved offense in, in, against Clemson because they don't have the pieces, but it will change as the season goes along as they get healthier is, is sort of his take on this. I, I, I don't know. Is Kirby Smart actually capable of doing this? I, I find this this Todd Monk and Kirby Smart, Kirby Smart relationship to be the most interesting of all of them. I, you know, I'm asking the same question right now, so I'm not going to give you a yes or no, but here's what I here's what I feel like we should do. I definitely agree with you on the fact that Clemson is not the – the game or the situation, neutral site, opening uh, opening of the season, limited talent. That's not really the best way to suss this out. So let me go ahead and get – I'll give you a barometer. You ready? Because here's what happens after Clemson and before you get to uh, – let's see here. Florida? Oh, I'm. You know what? I was, I, I'm was. i going to say Florida because then you get the benefit of the bye week as well. I don't know how you feel about that. But what, here's what you got real fast. UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas – at Auburn, which I, I I don't I don't know, and then and then Kentucky, so let's just go ahead and say by the cocktail party, we should we should have a complete and total understanding of yes or no has this offense worked? Sub question, Braden, <laughs> who is responsible for either? Remember, you know, failures and orphan and success as many fathers. Who's responsible for said success or failure? Um, I I would. A hundred percent by the cocktail party. I would argue you probably need to to see it. I think Arkansas could be a decent football team this year, like a top fifty team. So if you're if you, really if you beat Arkansas at home pretty handily with that offense on display, then you go into two pretty tough games at Auburn. I think Kentucky is going to be really good this year. So at Auburn and then Kentucky, th- those are two tricky games. I mean, Georgia's going to be a heavy favorite in every game outside of the Clemson game the entire season. Yeah. I think by Arkansas you need to see the the at least the the framework of of the of the of the, of the new new off, the evolved offense or whatever. Well, here's my counter though and here's the problem if you're Georgia. You're going against Clemson and arguably a playoff team, you know, essentially the Tiffany class of the non-SEC programs in in college football. The problem is this, Braden. UAB, you're not going to learn anything because, I mean, as much as I love the group of five, and I do, that talent differential is not going to be able to give you a good a good gauge. Then you play arguably the two worst rosters in the league in South Carolina and Vanderbilt. South Carolina... 
I haven't heard a lot about coaches' feelings towards their 2021 teams or their or their division rivals yet coming out of camp. The first one I've heard about is South Carolina, and, and that is that it could be really, really bad in that, transition. Are you, so, are you suggesting having a graduate assistant come off oof. the bench and start at quarterback is not a model for success in the SEC? And that doesn't even speak to the amount of attrition on defense. And just yeah. and, and essentially, it's it's kind of funny. It worked against them letting Muschamp go as early as they did. Normally, normally, <laughs> I'm going to be generic here, but when you see ADs make that move early on, it's to, one, operate in the open market in a coaching search without getting caught with your hand in various cookie jars. But two, hopefully you make a hire earlier. You can ease some of that attrition and just better build an overall transition. And I just like I'm gonna be nice for like two months before I just openly question okay. why this why this individual has that job. Okay, all right, fair enough. So I, I want to keep one category of this conversation to the smart, like the head coach opposite coordinator. Will he let him do his job? Yeah. So that, that's we the, decided that's, on Arkansas, right? That's I think it's at least Arkansas. I totally get your point. Auburn and Kentucky are two good defensive challenges potentially. I, to, to sort of see a little bit more body of work. I definitely think it's, you have to see, you have to see the Arkansas game minimum. You're probably right. You need at least one more Auburn or Kentucky to know definitively if yeah. it's, if it's happened or not. My, my point is there's, there's different categories of tension in the sec. The one cat, one category we started with here is head coach versus opposite coordinator. Will he let him do his job tension? And that's this one right here. The other one is Mark Stoops and new offensive coordinator Liam Cohen at Kentucky. Will Levis is your starting quarterback, who I think has some talent and has some ability. They've got better skill weapons than they've had maybe at Kentucky in quite some time that actually get to play at those positions because they might have a quarterback. Uh, the question is, is does, you know, is the ordained by, you know, Jesus McVeigh, does that mean, is, that, is it actually going to work? And is, is Stoops actually going to let him do his job? I'm not an Eddie Grant apologist, Braden, but he served a very specific role when he was offensive coordinator at Kentucky. And he was OC when when the when the team really emerged with the sort of Mark Stoops identity. And what Eddie Grant was hired to do was what he was fired for, which was to be the fall guy and to be the everyman solution to whatever Mark Stoops needed on defense. If he said, slow it down, Eddie slowed it down. If he said, hey, we're more talented on this side of the ball, just give us long possessions, don't worry so much about a scoring off, that's what they did. We have now seen a complete and total 180, okay? In a bottle, in a short sense, without getting bogged down in schematics, that McVeigh NFL offense is not going to cater to a defensive, a career DC head coach saying, hey, slow it down for me. That's just not going to yeah. work. So Mark Stoops is about to make maybe a sea change type of decision as a head coach, which I find interesting because his name comes up for some major jobs like Iowa, like Notre Dame, because of what he's done in Lexington. This is a defining moment for him, in my opinion. I know everyone kind of shrugs it off because it's Kentucky. If he is able to fundamentally change the offensive identity without losing anything, really, I mean, they've kind of built themselves on that defense, I'd argue. Um if he's able to do that, then then yeah, all of a sudden you could hear Mark Stoops, Notre Dame candidate, or you know, I'm not saying anything about BK necessarily, but or Mark Stoops taking over at Iowa, and you think, okay, wow, he's much more of a dynamic head coach than we thought. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I see him start to like when he begins to speak, I think this person has no personality, and by the end of the sentence, I'm going, oh wait a second, that's what, why I like Mark Stoops. Like, oh, he's got a, he's got he's got a laugh, and he kind of 
understand. He has good perspective, and it's just he's an interesting guy. He's like Bob that way. Yeah, he's he's like Bob was, and Braden. I think you you've been around him at certain point. Bob Stoops in certain at certain points when when the camera's on or there's a gaggle of reporters, he's incredibly aggressive, more traditional, defensive minded, going to answer a question with a question, protect the team, yada yada much more gregarious and enigmatic when there is not a camera or a voice recorder pointed at him. His brother's the exact same way. I think he's done a great job behind the scenes. Like Lexington, I don't want this to be a criticism, but I am saying this. Your path to success was built on an OC who was willing to take the fall for you. That's not what you just hired. Right. This is different now. I, I Well, I believe that he's he, he gets it. Like I, I think this is his chance. He knows he's got a chance with the team. They're not going to beat Georgia. They're not going to win the East. But I think they could finish second, and I think they could be a 10-win team. I, I'm not kidding about it. like I think they've got every, like their no, schedule, I did. Their yeah. schedule is totally set up for them to be good. So well, well and the other thing long term for that program is they're they're playing to recruit, which is something Kentucky football has never done. And what I mean by that is this: Louisville has lost a lot of hold in its own city. I'm talking about the ACC yeah. program, Louisville. The city of Louisville is being recruited and being tended to better by the University of Kentucky in a football sense than at any point in time that I have been doing this job. So when you combine that with his efforts in Ohio. He's yeah. setting up the future very nicely. They go UL Monroe, and we talked about this last week. They get Missouri at home in a huge swing game, Chattanooga, and then at South Carolina. The, we'll know after those four because then they get Florida and LSU at home, which I think they have a chance to actually win one of those two. So we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers. And when I think about football season and I think about football coming soon, Steve, I think about sitting at a neighborhood watering hole, drinking a tall, cool, frosty beverage, eating some piping hot wings and watching football. And that is soon to be here, my friend. And Jasper's is the place for you to do it. Coming down on next, well, next Thursday night. We, we do have week zero college football games, uh, Nebraska and Illinois, I think, but like whatever. It really, Tennessee Volunteers Football, for example, gets started next thursday evening uh, steve cavendish you are at jaspers on thursday evening you're, and you're about to sit down and watch football on thursday night for the opening of college football season what does steve cavendish's perfect meal look like when you are out at a sports bar jaspers watching your team play i gotta have wings so i'm gonna go uh, i'm gonna go red rum uh, roasted wings and then I love the call poppers uh at jaspers i just can't stop eating them and matter of fact I have to push the plate out of my arms length uh, <laughs> in order to prevent, you know, maybe spoiling the rest of my dinner, but it's just, it's just so good. It's just that, you know, the, that tempura cauliflower comes with a little, little pea pesto or a little, little feta cream. There's that red bell kind of stuff you can drag uh, red bell pepper stuff you can kind of drag through. So that's fantastic. Uh, so, so that's what I start with. And then, and then after that, it sort of depends on the, it sort of depends on the, I've been, I've been in sort of a burger mood recently. Mm, okay. uh, and so, you know, you go, you go like classic on the burger, the, the, the Jasper burger, very good. I, you know, it holds up, holds up well against uh, what yeah. is what I would characterize as staunch burger competition around town. Uh, this and is then, a good, this is a good burger town and Jasper's burgers are right up there. Yeah, they're really they're, they're they're really good. It's just a class. It's just a straight up classic burger, uh, and or you know if I want to take thirty five minutes off my life, I can do the I can do the dog, <laughs> because it's got the avocado smash on top of it. But uh, it's it's actually a veggie dog. Yeah. Do, do I get minutes back for having the veggies on? <laughs> do you, top? 
Uh, and, and what are we drinking? So you got your burger, you got your wings, and you got your collar poppers. What are we drinking? If it's a football game, I, I know that I'm going to want to do something kind of that's going to – you can't start out too hard. So uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm probably going the Blackberry Farms uh, Classic Saison. It is a near-perfect food beer. It just it just blends really well with whatever you're eating. I, I can't do like, like – you can't do something like too hoppy with, with, with food. Some of the like West Coast IPAs uh, that are out there – you like kind of blow your palate out when you're when you're when you're sitting down and you want and you're wanting to enjoy the food. I was uh, a, I was about to strongly disagree, but I do agree it needs to be an East Coast or perhaps a Middle Tennessee IPA, perhaps a Middle Tennessee hazy. There's plenty of those that are served um, with Jaspers. You can also go like Zahn's uh, uh, makes makes a great parallel, which is just like perfect with food. Uh, you can you can do you can do that too. It's not it's not overly hopped. So get this, Steve Cavendish. Get this. On Thursday nights, while you'll be watching Tennessee, you can get a burger and beer for $10. You get a $15 Jasper's burger and an $8 size on for $10. That's, that is, that's less that is, than half price. That Thursday. is madness. That is Thursday. absolute madness. Thursdays, go watch college football. Now, so what's your, what's your menu lineup? What are, you, well, what are you doing here? My menu also has to have... I, I ha wings are my number one go-to Super Bowl, college football, national championship. My favorite team playing at any sporting event wings got to go with wings. So red rum wings. I totally agree with you. Got to go get the red rum wings or the fire or firecracker is good too. I then have to have some sort of dips. I need dips. So you go queso chips and rinds from Jasper's their queso. Look, there's a lot of quesos in this city that turn into a big block of, of like clogged artery in your gut and they don't stay, you know, you know, gooey very long. They, they, they harden up real fast when they're sitting on the table, not at Jasper's, not at Jasper's folks. That queso stays soupy and creamy and delicious and dippable for the entirety of the game. It's fantastic. So I want wings and I want dips. Okay. Those are my first two. Now I normally would go pizza next. Well, guess what? Jasper's has some of that too. They've got flatbreads. They've got a shrimp scampi flatbread. They've got a Hawaiian fried o chicken flatbread. And my personal favorite, the Don Antonio prosciutto, fresh mozzarella, Parmesan, baby spinach, some, some bolognese. Oh, I love how you just turned into bolognese. Somebody who is like off the boat Italian here. <laughs> mozzarella. To, to, pronounce, to pronounce the ingredients on the Don Antonio. So I want pizza. I want dips and I want wings. And Jasper's has all of that. Uh, and if you do want a burger and a beer on a Thursday, they got an unbelievable deal uh, as well. I, there, there's, there's my menu. It's look, they've got great stuff on the menu that you can get, you know, scallops on there. You can get steak and egg. You can get all kinds of good stuff. Not, it's not really game food per se. It's more like, uh, you know, dinner food with the wife. And as far as the cocktails go, of course, order the gold standard, obviously. Um, but again, I'm with you. If I'm watching a football game, I feel like I need to, to drink a beer. I, I feel like I have to have a beer. So give me a bearded iris. Home style, and I'll drink it. It's tough. I'll take it with my wings. All of that stuff you can get at Jasper's. What should people do, Steve? They should go to Jasper's. You know why? It's the next evolution of the sports bar. All right. Another tension is the head coach who just sort of hires coordinators. To, to, and this is specifically Sam Pittman at Arkansas and Coach O at LSU. Coach O, not sure he interviews all of his coaches sometimes, you know, but but, but LSU is fascinating this year. 
they're trying to redo and rebuild the, the Joe Brady thing from 2019. Sam Pittman, I think, did a brilliant job hiring his two coordinators, Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom, but he's got to keep them happy and keep them in town because I don't know how either of these two guys can sustain long-term success without really high-level coordinators. I'm not trying to throw shade. Look at Kendall Bryles' coaching career. Go through and actually look at the circumstances when he is a coordinator, a play caller, and how long he lasts, and then go to the coaching industry and ask ask for exit interviews on Kendall Bryles. Kendall Bryles is a temporary solution with an offense that has its moments. How about I say that diplomatically? Mm. Okay. Uh, Odom, I think, was the coup was was really the coup hire here. I think Odom coming off of his feelings about the way things ended at Missouri, that's sort of being the de facto state line rivalry. I know the league wants to sort of push that, but uh, you well, don't get that feeling. Southern Missouri is Arkansas. I mean, let's be honest. There, no, there's natural overlap there, but I don't think the programs have grown into each other for a proper SEC rivalry yet. But it's good for Barry to stay in the league. I, I mean, he was. As fast as he went off the market, he was the most sought-after D.C. after he was fired by Missouri. I'm talking about in the nation. Yeah, people wanted yeah. people wanted him calling their defense. So he's the guy I think you build around. I don't think Kendall's there for long, either because it's a kill-or-be-killed situation. It, that's the nature of the Bryles is they don't have a good reputation in the coaching market. Um, mm. It's very interesting to me that um, those two it, – it's, it's not quite as like – there are some crazy OCDC pairings in the Power Five right now. Like North Carolina is the one that jumps out to me because you took the DC from Army and the OC from Ole Miss. So it was the fastest and slowest offense and defense pairing. This is somewhat similar if both systems are running at, at in sort of their ideal forms. That combined with just the natural I, – I don't want to be mean about this, but like I think we can all kind of – very nicely say that there was a little bit of a dead cat bounce last year with Arkansas with all the 2020 circumstances. I mean, we can say that, right? I, I think they were clearly a, a, a more physical, tougher team. They were, they were not stupid in the trenches is the nice, right. like that's the nicest yeah. way of saying like, Hey, okay. There were, there was much more sound fundamental football. There was more confidence. There was certainly more like competition is one of the most overused words in this sport. But what I mean by that specifically is just effort exerted by the big guys late in games. What if it's a dead cat bounce with like an offensive line coach coaching up the dead cat? I just, I mean, the dead cat still is not, we we don't have good skill position players. The metaphor falls apart. Like it just, they just are (laughs) an inferior product for the time being. And I say that with all respect to Pittman, because I do think he's a little bit of a diamond in the rough higher in the long term. I also think the steadiest hand is the, is the best choice for Arkansas. And he is definitely, and was definitely the steadiest hand of the available candidates. I am not trying to speak ill of the entire Pittman era. I just think you're going to see some regression there. All right, so uh, LSU Coach O, this really Uh, is just a giant question mark, and I've asked this of everybody that's come on the show. What is LSU? And you've had one of the better – you have one of the better answers. Which answer did I give you? Because, Brayden, I'll be honest, I'm struggling. This is – They are are must-see television. They are drama. Regardless of what happens, whether they go 11-1 and or they go Auburn and go 0-8, which is what Chris Felica said on the show last week. He thinks LSU's got – like serious Auburn dumpster fire potential this year. It, it yeah. Wa- watchable is what you told me when we talked about this before the show. And I thought that of course that's the right answer because it doesn't matter what they do. LSU is always interesting. And I think they're going to lose to UCLA in week one. Well, you know, it's funny because you, you just stole my transition because one of the best situations I, I had proposed to me was, I think it was someone on Twitter. I don't know if it, I don't know where it was. It's highly, well, not highly likely, but entirely possible that this weekend, 
Hawaii beats UCLA, who then turns around and beats no. LSU. Look, the 18 points is too big for UCLA hosting Hawaii. But they get, the fact that they get a game and then get to host LSU, I think, means, right. uh, yeah. means they're ready for next week. It's only like a three-and-a-half-point spread for a reason. Hey, you know, it's so funny that we knock. Well, I mean, it's funny for a reason, and, and it works for a reason. That, that Saban creates exceptionalism in so many comparative exercises. So that's a fancy way of saying that you just can't use him to create an equation. We have discussed, picked apart Saban's ability to maintain consistency despite entire coaching staff turnovers in like between national championship runs, right? He can turn the entire on-field coaching staff over minus one or two and still maintain integrity. And I'm not talking about uh, moral integrity, but I'm talking about the integrity of the roster, the process and things that what they do. When you see LSU suffer even a fraction of that, it's as if the entire foundation shakes within that program in terms of in terms of consistency, in terms of message, and that's been the Achilles heel for Ed. It's not recruiting. It's a really good roster, but here's the scary thing, Braden, and I'm not quite there yet. It was a really good roster under the last guy, too. It's LSU. Oh, I, You don't yeah. get patted on the back for being a five-star recruiter at LSU. I don't think that's like Earth's... Like- I don't think that's earth-shattering news here, man. Well, I'm just I'm not I'm not there yet in terms of framing him up All right, in okay. sort of the Les Miles last act. I'll put it this way: if if, if Orgeron goes out this year, it's going to be in a much wilder yeah. and faster manner in which there won't be a slow decline like Miles. All right, so a couple other couple other different types of tension here, and that is your old school traditional tension, which is Dan Mullen is a brilliant offensive coach. Florida is brilliant on offense. Todd Grantham is still has his job as a defensive coordinator, has gotten more vanilla as a play caller, less, you know, whatever. He's already lost a corner to an ACL tear for the year. This is sort of your traditional, like, hey, get the job done or you're on the hot seat kind of tension here. So, But wasn't that last year? This is my problem with this dynamic. This was the same. Everything that you just said is correct. It was also correct last year, even in a non-COVID situation. I, this is what... It, He's the not, only he's not, answer. He's not going to survive because Florida has some LSU in him this year, and they're going to they're going to lose like three or four times, and he's out at the end of the year. The only the only uh, explanation I can give for the for ar- inarguably the strangest marriage between a head coach and a coordinator in this league is that based on the years I've been around the SEC and what I know about the Dan Mullen working experience when he's your boss. And based on what I know about Grantham and what it's like when he's in your room, is that they're just so they're so assert. Uh, I was about to say acerbic, acidic, and and abrasive in terms of those environments. Yeah, someone like I mean, it's a long list, and it's not really a secret. Ask any of Mullen's ex coordinators, and then Grantham's a journeyman for a reason. Maybe they just tolerate each other at a particular level. And, and I'm saying this kind of in a winking, laughing way, but the bottom line is the football doesn't measure out. The actual defensive product doesn't measure out. They are going to be less talented on offense this year. I just feel, I feel like everything about Florida right now is putting them in a weird purgatory of an eight, nine win season from here on out in the Mullen era, which is not going to be tolerated. Oh, uh, I I think it's this year. I have faith in the offense carrying them maybe next year when, when Georgia has to find new pieces. But, but again, that, but I think, does he have a new DC that yes. in that following year? Yes. That's the thing. Yes. Um, real, real quickly here, another type of tension, which is a very weird tension for me, but I really enjoy it, which is my favorite combination in the sec, which is Mike Bobo, old head, mm. old sec head who runs sec Jim Cheney style offense, although very underrated at Georgia. I think Georgia fans, he got a bad rap for averaging over seven yards per play. Like he was a martyr for like three straight years. 
But Brian Harson is this guy that's, you know, viewed as like this innovative offensive schematic guy. He's got a quarterback mm-hmm. who's also enigmatic. And we're sitting here going like, what are, they've got four offensive linemen, one of the best running backs in the league. They've got some pieces to be very Auburn-y, but more yeah. like Mike Bobo. I, I don't know how these two guys get along. I like Derek Mason. I think it's a fine hire for him. Um, but I, I don't the, the like it's all I want to know who decided on Mike Bobo, who had final call See? on Mike Bobo. This is why you have to pay attention to the group of five. These two developed a very close friendship when Bobo was the head coach at Colorado State. And that is, the, that is the answer. He was emphatic. He was excited about Bobo as an opportunity because he needed, he really, really needed an anchor and a touchstone that was familiar with the region, the league, the politics, the recruiting. And that was Bobo because he was on the block after what happened at South Carolina. Um, yes, they are technically dissimilar in terms of the product that we have seen on the field. Philosophically, they're not that far apart. I am fascinated. Okay. I know th- we, we could do an entire show on the other things happening on the planes right now. And I, you know, you, you said in the beginning of the segment that Harson was from a land far away. Apparently he's from Facebook because that's the kind <laughs> of logic he's been applying to his program. Well, I say, I say that jokingly because it's really not that different. It's basically the same. I mean, in it's a small theory, town. Idaho, it's a small town. In, in theory, Idaho is Arkansas, is Alabama. Right, right. Uh, I am fascinated when you get to the football parts of Auburn because I love this offense. This is the offense that's run that was run with Peterson at Washington. It will not be run with Jimmy Lake and John Donovan, the old Vanderbilt LC. They will they will move away from it. This is the offense you can see right now at Oregon State. Uh, this is the offense essentially that gave you those moments at Boise, and I want to stop right here and evangelize. Okay. I'm not talking about the gimmicks. I'm not talking about the gimmicks. Everyone thinks I'm talking about the gimmick plays. Here's what I'm talking about. And this is why he won the interview at Auburn. I'm talking about two backs or two tight ends, 12, getting big, going shift, going motion, and then still running downhill. If you want to see a wonderful example of this. Kyle Shanahan. When when Boise went to, yeah, Shanny to a degree, There's yeah, I would say Shanny, but maybe not quite as vertical. Um, okay. Although I'm, Harsh might disagree with me. Uh, when Boise went to Florida State a couple years ago, it was a game that was supposed to be one place and it got moved to Tallahassee. It was the, I think it was, I think Taggart was the head coach of Florida State. And, okay. they, and then Boise State gave up like a four touchdown league, right? No, Boise oh. State. Florida State gave up the four touchdowns. Yes. League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boise State, and, and I'll have to, I'll dig up the rushing numbers. There, there was no gimmick. There was no, there was no, nothing fancy, nothing group of five about this. Boise State came into Tallahassee against superior athletes on the defensive line and ran between the tackles all day long. They schemed their way open and then physically dominated a Florida State defense. That is what Auburn wants. They think Harz and they think the, the, the base structure of that, what I just said, Washington, Boise, that tree, Oregon State. That is what they think is closest to the old Pat Dye ideology on the Plains. 57 carries, 214 yards, 375 per with two touchdowns. So they, de- they smashy, definitely smashy, smashy. They definitely did as much as they possibly could to run run the football in that game. That that is for sure. So uh, look, I, I'm I am with you on on the Auburn offensive weaponry and the scheme. I think it's better than people think, but I don't know where well their o-line their their o-line is bad well i don't know how all the other stuff you mentioned like off the field like uh, auburn has all that weird stuff too just like lsu Mm -hmm. i think like florida this year i just i wonder how much the margin for error at auburn is so razor sharp and thin even when nick saban's not the coach at alabama 
and he, and last time I checked, he is. So I just, I, I don't know. Like I'm, I think LSU and Auburn could be in for some quick falls and, and Florida sort of like trailing, you know, behind them loosely. So uh, r- real quickly here, before we wrap up, actual coordinator head coach marriages that you really like. I, I am personally a big fan of Eli Drinkwitz and Steve Wilkes. I think that's a really nice combination. I don't know how you could do better than that. If you're in Missouri, frankly, um, a former NFL coach and, a, and a, an offensive wizard. I, I don't know. I, with a little rah rah and some nerdiness, like he's the most Missouri guy you could get. I don't know. I, I would lean towards agreeing with you. I just want to see more work product out of that right. um, because I'm a big proponent of throwing 2020 out both on the high and the low. So, yeah, it, that feels right. But I, I definitely want to wait and see what they look like. What, what about offensive gurus who want to score in half a second and score 50 points? How, how do they, I, like, I think Josh Heupel's built a decent coaching staff on, de- on defense in particular with some nice pieces there. Lane Kiffin, of course, I don't even like know who's coaching the defense for, for Ole Miss, but the, the, the those two guys, wait, and, you really don't No, I'm, I'm kidding. those two guys in the relationship with their defensive staffs. What, what do you make of those two situations? Well, I mean, Lane Lane hired DJ Durkin because it was just a that was within his network, within his tree, and also, I mean, basically that was like that was like asking someone to come in and just do CPR, because you know it's funny. I, I still believe it's not an if, but a win. Lane Kiffin leaves Ole Miss. It will actually be the true punishment against the Rebels from the NCAA because the attrition they suffered, they just were never able, and still they they won't this year. Spoiler alert. Uh, be able to field an SEC quality defense, which is going to hurt them even more because they have one of the best offenses in college football. Um, you know, as for Tennessee, I don't know. I, it'll be hard to judge anything on a coaching dynamic this year because that that uh, I talked about South Carolina and Vanderbilt earlier. Tennessee's just a notch above that, and just in terms of and this is not I'm, I'm not piling on. It's objective. It's roster depth. It's high end talent. It's just. When you evaluate it with the name off the, you know, take the, take the name off of the roster, it's 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 pretty it's, it's bad. pretty bad. It's bad. So you know who we didn't talk about here. You you did lo- allude to Alabama, Nick Saban's ability to churn staff. We need mm-hmm. talents there. You know who we didn't talk about Texas A and M. We didn't talk about Texas A and M. I I I would not be surprised if Texas A and M beats Bama at home and wins the West. No, no, would yeah, not no. be surprised at all. And in terms of dynamics there as well, I would say this, that Elko has, has acquitted himself really nicely. That And also a guy that probably, I'm not saying, we're not entering Venable's country at all. We're not. Brent Venable's, I think, will retire as Clemson's D.C. Um, he, I mean, gosh, he's had the opportunity to go a lot of places that would raise a lot of eyebrows. Elko has been out there pretty active in the market. I just think that he has the luxury of being choosy. Um, don't don't think so much about the end product of what I'm about to say, but just remember the hype. Do you remember when Chad Morris was at Clemson? Oh, yeah, yeah. He turned down Vandy. He turned down a lot of high ends, and then he you know went to SMU because he because he was from the area. Elko is sitting pretty right now, and in the meantime, I think he complements what Jimbo wants to do really nicely. And he's got all the best defensive linemen in the state of Texas right now. So, at least for now, at least for now. Thank Tom Herman for that. Well, and, and, and until Steve Sarkeesian gets to recruit them as SEC players, then maybe that changes things. But right now, A&M still gets to do that. And uh, I'm telling you, man, a, a, there's some reason I, I really like this this squad right now. They, I have told like, you, but they, I, I am a total believer in that conspiracy theory, by the way, that Texas knew when they hired Sark and told Sark. Sark knew and Texas knew. I've, I don't know if I've said this on the show yet. Well, you just did, and I like that. 
That's a they great... 110% knew, and that was a major factor in hiring Steve Sarkeesian and the timing in firing Tom. I 100% believe that. And how and how does Sark feel about all this? Oh, I think that I think it's one of the reasons Sark took the job. Okay. Based on look, based on his style of offense, because it is similar to what you mentioned about like Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, he followed. He, in fact, he followed Kyle in Atlanta because the personnel was like he he knew well enough to transition off of it. Wasn't quite as successful. Uh, he knows that what he needs in terms of offensive line play specifically, you find in on an SEC roster and not on a Big Twelve roster. That's the big. That's the big thing nobody's talking about, Braden. If these two teams come in, they're going to have to recruit their lines in the southeast. Yeah. Because Texas is not Texas is not building those bodies anymore. I I I think they'll be able to do a slightly better job and will survive if they have the right coaches, just like Auburn or Tennessee or AM or Georgia or Florida or Alabama. They will all survive. So all right. Enough talking. Stop talking. Okay. That's enough talking out of you. Thank you so much for all those words. I do appreciate it. We'll talk next week. When we come back, my conversation with the Athletics' Seth Emerson covering the Georgia Bulldogs. Seth, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for giving us some time. Obviously, we have football coming up very, very soon, and we'll get to Clemson and Georgia in just a second. But what have you seen at a camp so far with, with all the personnel things that have happened with Georgia? Where is the state of this roster right now? Well, we haven't seen with our own eyes anything because they're not letting us into practice or even allowing in-person interviews. But from everything we've heard through sources, through what you can glean from interviews, they're, they're getting healthier. And receiver and tight end is the big concern. They're not going to be fully healthy for the Clemson game. Uh, obviously George Pickens is going to be out and going to be out until later in the season if he comes back at all. Then they lost Darnell Washington to a foot injury, who's probably their next most dynamic player. Um, we're waiting to see if John Fitzpatrick tight end will come back. Dominic Blaylock probably won't be cleared for the game, but they're getting some other guys back. Um, and it's also possible that they're going to lean on the running game more than we thought they might because of all the injuries there. So, you know, this, I, I swear to people that Georgia is opening up its offense and they are <laughs> trying to put man ball behind them, but you couldn't really see that much last year because they were on their fourth option at quarterback for six games. And then now you may, the whole nation watching Clemson and Georgia may think Georgia is still a run oriented team without realizing that, they're they're without all these guys. I I didn't mention Eric Gilbert. Um, his you know he's away with an unspecified personal situation. Um, I mean at this point every day that goes by that he doesn't reappear makes it less likely he'll play against Clemson. So that's one other guy that they probably won't have. So because it sounds like you're already sort of starting to prepare people because I'm assuming the evolution of the offense is a question you're tired of asking, uh, get, yeah. having, having to, to answer, but it's, it sounds like there's the, the, the things that have happened have sort of are going to make it worse on, on Kirby smart to do that. So let me ask you about the offensive line then, because I, I, I like you think as they get healthier, I think the, the pieces around JT Daniels are, are just fine. The, the question for me, especially against the Clemson team, where you look at a, a defensive line that had, I think, four freshmen last year, almost all of them five-star kids, one of the best defensive lines in America, 
but maybe you're catching them at the right time. What does the Georgia offensive line look like going up against that Clemson D-line? Well, they had another curveball thrown at them early in camp when Warren Erickson, who was supposed to be the starting center and did start at center in the bowl game, um, hurt his hand, his snapping hand. So he's seeing if he can snap with the other hand. If he can't, they will go with a redshirt freshman, Cedric Van Pran Granger, or they could move Jamari Sawyer, who it looks like he's going to be the left tackle if he's not the center. They could move him to center because he played that earlier. Um, the, the battle that I expect, and I don't want to go too depth charty here for your, less, your, your listeners. I mean, it's the O-line. But um, <laughs> the, 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 the battle I thought and everyone thought that was coming into the, the preseason was whether Tate Ratledge would win right guard or which would keep Jamari Sawyer at left tackle or if another left tackle like Xavier Trust or Broderick Drones, um, Marius Mims, one of these high-profile former five-star left tackles, if they want the left tackle job, which would move Jamari Sawyer to guard. Well, Tate Ratledge has done really well, and he's going to be the right guard. Now the only question is whether Sawyer is at center or at left tackle. Now, the, the short version of all this is if Georgia has all this uncertainty uh, on the line when they're about to face perhaps the best defensive front they're going to see all season and I don't just mean regular season then things could get a little bit ugly uh or you know I we'll, we'll see I mean Georgia has uncertainty but they're still you know they've still got like at least one five-star who's on third team so <laughs> if they can get the right mix it's not a matter of talent defensively I think we all assume that there's not really a whole lot of drop-off with this team Clemson's breaking in a whole lot of pieces on offense. They're very, very talented, but it defensively, is there really anything to be concerned about big picture for, for this unit with Kirby smart running it? Well, you still wonder about cornerback and, and secondary because of uh, they're working in new guys, but you certainly feel better about it for them having gotten Darian Kendrick. And even though, uh, Tyke Smith, who they also got out of the transfer portal from West Virginia, even though he's hurt and presumably is out for the Clemson game, he was already getting pushed at the nickelback spot by Latavius Brinney, who started, who got his first college start in the Peach Bowl and actually did pretty well. So there was some thought when Georgia got Tyke Smith that it was like, okay, that's great, but you know, what about Latavius Brinney? You know, he, he's being pushed to the side. Well, he, you know, he's going to start now. So uh, between that and if they, again. They've got some really good players like Keely Ringo, five-star a year ago. Maybe he starts a cornerback. Maybe they start another guy. I, I think they're in pretty good shape. But if, if you I, – I, I, as we've gone further in camp and we've had less injuries to hear about on Georgia's defense, and there, there's just been better buzz about how they're doing in scrimmages and practices, you, you start to feel a lot better about Georgia's defense. Where are the fans right now with sort of the evolution of Kurt, not the offense of, of Kirby smarts career, yeah. because he, he, you know, and you and I've talked about this before when you fire Mark Richt and you hire Kirby smart, you're sure you're shooting at a really tiny bullseye, right? Like you're shooting at yeah. playoff instead of number eight in the nation. You're shooting at a top five class instead of a top 10 class. And it seems like he's delivered on that. Where right. is the, where is the fan base's patience right now with Kirby smart? Well, I think like with anything, you're going to hear the vocal minority, especially if they lose to Clemson, especially if they stumble a little bit. I think they'll, they'll, be, they'll be loud voices that are calling it into question. 
Um, and I do think this is a year that Kirby Smart has to take a step back forward. You know, they've, they've, you know, I, I, I kind of laugh when people reported, refer to Georgia as this underachieving program. They've been top 10 the last four years. They've been, they were not only in the national championship game in 2017, which is not ancient history, but the next two years, they were number five in the last playoff ranking. They were the first team out. So, and then last year they lose two games, but that was when they had chaos at the quarterback position when their presumed starter opted out in the preseason. So I, I, I think, most Georgia fans understand that most Georgia fans are still very happy about it, but I think a lot of Georgia fans still have that gnawing in the back of their mind wonder about like the Kirby smart game day decision. There'll still be some who most Georgia fans because they were around in 2018 know about the fields from thing that, you know, they Kirby had no decision to make. He started the guy that, that, took them to the national championship game and almost took them to the playoff again. But there, there's some that still have the gnawing questions about, about that and about the offense. And, and, and those will come out even more if they do stumble this year. But on the whole, I think people are still patient, especially because they don't think that there's a window that's closing. Uh, now, I, I think with JT Daniels, probably off to the NFL after this year. That's one thing, but they've got Brock Vandegrift coming in behind them. They've got Gunnar Stockton committed. They're, they're fine at quarterback for the future. They've got a lot of guys that other guys like he guys that will probably turn pro after this year, but much like when they had a lot of guys turn pro after the 2017 season and 2018, they were kind of right back there in position to go back to the playoffs. They've got guys coming behind it. So Georgia fans don't see a window that's closing anytime. They don't. They don't see this year as as championship for bus. I mean, I, I it's hard to disagree with that. If if they were eleven and two with two close losses to Clemson and Alabama, but they win to the yeah. division, is that considered a step forward? It's it's a step forward on paper uh, because they didn't make it to Atlanta last year. Last year they they lost to Florida. Um, if you at least beat Florida this year, and if you win the East and go back to Atlanta, then technically you've taken a step forward. There, that if they if at minimum they do that, I think that will probably please. You know, that'll satisfy. Yeah. I think it'd probably be the right word. Most of the fan base, but there will be a lot of people who will then say, "Well, why didn't you do more?" And it will also depend on like how competitive you were. Like they they when I say they've taken a slight step back every season, I don't mean in terms of record because in 2019 they actually had a better record. They were 12 and two because they won the bowl game, unlike the previous year. But in 2019, they got blown out in the SEC championship versus in 2018, they had Alabama on the ropes and then lost yeah. in painful fashion. Yeah. <laughs> if, if they get, if they go to the SEC championship game and get blown out, if it, you know, I, I, the way I would put it is that if this season is, it doesn't have to be 2017 at minimum, it needs to be 2019. But if it's 2018 results, as in like right there, in the SEC championship, people will take that. Uh, and it's not Georgia's fault that they happen to play maybe the two best teams in America and lose potentially close games, as you're alluding to. Uh, and if the playoff committee is not going to yeah. be too lost, you know, they're, they're clearly one of the top four teams at that point. But if they don't get in, it's the committee's fault, not Georgia's fault, in, in, in my opinion. Um, all right, clear, clear this up just one, one last time. I'm sure you've been asked about it a million times. 
and, and JT Daniels has, has spoken about it now publicly. Like what, what happened last year at the quarterback position? Why did he start only the last four games? He just wasn't physically ready at the start of the season. And I think by the time he did feel physically ready, Stetson Bennett had earned the right to continue starting, which when people look back, they go, oh, how could that be? No, you've got to remember how things happen. Stetson Bennett comes off the bench and rescues them against Arkansas. He wasn't a starter that game. Um, and then he kept, he kept winning. Uh, they, they ran in, they, they lost to Alabama, but they actually had the lead on Alabama late in the third quarter. But that was when the, that was the first kind of chink in his armor was against Alabama. And then things started to slide and it was the Florida game. That was kind of the breaking point that it was like, okay, you know, Stetson Bennett has hit his ceiling. Now we need to go to JT Daniels. I think it was a combination of it. Look, if, if JT Daniels was healthy, he would have started against Arkansas. I don't know if he would have started the next week against Auburn if he was fully healthy, but as they went week one, week two, week three, week four, week five, Stetson Bennett was, yeah, he was playing too well to take out. When Stetson Bennett stumbled, that's when they went to JT. There you have it. Where, where's George? Is George in the playoff at the end of this whole season? Are, are they there? 50, 50 shot. I mean, yeah. like, I, you know what I think is in their favor? I mean, I've, I've been kind of put – I've had to predict it in the, on the athletic, and I, I went ahead and pulled the trigger and said I did, is, is I, when you look at their schedule, it's going to have to take a lot for Georgia not to win the East. And that, like, if they beat Clemson, they could be Notre Dame last year, where they're 12-0 and going into the SEC championship and don't even need to win that game to be in the playoffs depending on the way the rest of the field looks um, there there's, there's more working in Georgia's favor. And if you put the type of team they have, the experience factor, they are better than Alabama this year on paper, but we know how things tend to go when <laughs> those two teams face each other. Seth, always a pleasure, man. We are like so close to football. We can taste it. Yeah. Uh, stay, stay safe down there, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Want to say special thanks to Seth Emerson for joining us there. Super busy dude. We do appreciate it. Lots of really good insight on the Georgia Bulldogs. They are very, very good heading into this season, and I, I think they're going to beat Clemson. I'm just throwing it out there. I think they're going to beat Clemson in week number one, which, of course, is next week. We'll have a full preview for you coming up next week on the show. Special thanks to Stephen Godfrey as well. My name is Braden Gall, at Braden Gall on Twitter and at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook. Erin Dugan will be back next week, of course. She's doing great, but uh, had to deal with some stuff, so we have no problem giving her some space. But can't wait to get her back on the show next week. So we'll, the, the team, the group, the gang will be all back together. Otherwise, thank you all for listening. Share the product, rate, review, subscribe, all that great stuff. We'll be back next week, of course. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network.